In today's episode, we feature our final pair of guest hosts, Kimberly and Diana. Yay! We get to come back. We do, mm-hmm. for good, next week. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for now, one of the topics they discuss is personal inventory. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Let's throw to Kimberly for a little clip to set that up, shall Ooh, we? Good idea. A personal inventory is really just a way for you to look back at your life, at your accomplishments. It's a way to assess, you know, emotional growth, professional growth, relational growth, inner growth. It's a way to really analyze and see the things that are too hard to see because we're just too close to the situation. When it's our own life, we really have a hard time seeing the amazing, amazing progress that we really have had. Anyway, that's a brief introduction. Well, that should be an interesting conversation. That's not all they talk about. Um, They talk about hair. Sometimes you need to take personal inventory of your hair. (laughs) I guess you do. Let me check. Yep, Yep. I've got hair. You still got some? Mm -hmm. All right, well, we're going to get into all that right after the break. Cool. Be right back. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Latter-day Lesbian, the podcast about an ex-Mormon gay girl just trying to figure out her life in the new year. In the new year. (laughs) Happy New Year, everybody. I am Mary once again. That makes me Shelly once again. <laughs> yep. Yeah, that's that's what you are. I'm going to be that through all of 2021 you as well. You are the Shelliest Shelly I know, <laughs> as it turns out. <laughs> well, thanks. <laughs> is that a compliment? <laughs> <laughs> Everything that comes from you is a compliment, uh, baby. Uh-huh. Yeah. Keep telling yourself. <laughs> so today, our final pair of guest hosts, Kimberly and Diana, talk about a lot of different things. You know, they just kind of got into it and just started talking. Yep. They didn't really set it up, so we're going to set it up for them. Okay, go. Yeah? Mm -hmm. That's the setup? Oh, no. I'm telling you. (laughs) Go. Set it up. Take it away, Kimberly and Diana. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So who are you? Who are you, Kimberly Anderson? And how do you find your way on to the Latter-day Lesbian podcast all the time? Well, I I forced a friendship with Mary and Shelley. Did you know about that? No. In fact, I wondered, I was telling a friend last night that we were going to be recording this, and I realized that I don't recall how this happened, your friendship with them. I was roofied. (laughs) Stop it. Or I roofied them. The way that it worked out is I was actually a listener for a while. And I reached out probably via Facebook Messenger, and I said, um, we need to be friends. Yeah. And Shelly's like, okay. Whatever. That wasn't her response. Her response was, yeah, okay. But I think, honestly, it was early enough that in, in us knowing about each other that she may have been a little bit trepidatious. Do you recall when, like, how you started listening? How did you hear about it? How did I hear about their podcast? That's actually a really good question. I'm always interested in how people find the things they listen to. It must have been I saw it on Facebook somewhere, or I think I must have seen a Latter-day Lesbian podcast thing come up somewhere. Well, on Facebook, it's promoted there, so that would make sense. But this was back like on episode 20. Oh, wow. A long time ago. Right. I'm an OG OG LDL. I mean, I feel you. I'm also OG. I I think I must have heard like three or four episodes, and I'm like, oh, I need to talk to these people. So I reached out, and and she was gracious, and she accepted my friendship. And and Mary, of course, um, does whatever Shelly tells her to do. Oh, yeah, sure. That's how that goes. She's just a total, complete follower. (laughs) Actually, it's interesting. I think that Shelly and I have a friendship that is distinct and separate from the friendship that Mary and I have. I have 
the same with both of them. And then I have a friendship of them as the Latter-day lesbian kind of couple. Mm-hmm. But it's been really fun to get to know them. It's wonderful to see them here in Salt Lake. Shelly's coming out again on Wednesday. I know. So we're going to try and do a, some sort of a socially distanced party. In fact, I went to my office and got a bunch of N95s. Can never have enough of those now. We prep for Shelly's party. I am providing the N95s, and I'm pro- expecting Shelly to provide the beer. <laughs> well, I think that those expectations will most likely be met. I, I think it's a fair <laughs> trade. I'll provide all the medical equipment, and she provides the alcohol. <laughs> if I know Shelly like I do, then I think you're going to be pretty solid. Speaking of drinking, yes, I like the segment of what are we drinking? What are we drinking? A can of nitro cold brew. I've never had one of those. What? Kimberly, rectify this immediately. Nitro cold brew is so good. And this particular brand, it's called uh, Snowing in Space. Wow. Are these guys making up names while they're, while they're high? Sure, why not? I, I mean, I'm not judging. I'm just curious. But the creative process. That's one of the first things we started drinking when we started drinking coffee was nitro. It's so good. And why do you start there? Well, I don't remember why we decided that we were going to start drinking coffee other than, okay, well, now we feel like we can. This is a world we haven't explored. Let's figure this out. And... At the time, there was a coffee roaster two blocks from our house. It's now the coffee roaster that I work at, but we don't live two blocks from it anymore, sadly. But Ben walked in and saw that they had this nitro keg. A keg? Oh, yeah. It's tapped like a keg. I mean, it is a keg. He immediately got it and was hooked. So he went from zero to 100. Oh, yeah. He never has put anything in his coffee. Wow. The first time he ever had wine, he had red wine and just like has never strayed from that. Like he's a red wine drinker. He's a whiskey on the rocks or whiskey straight. Whiskey neat, I believe is how that's called. Yeah. Neat is the proper way to say that. Yeah. I have to ease into things. So like I started with like the Starbucks. That's what she said. (laughs) That's what they said. That's what they said. Oh, thank you. Gender inclusive. That's what they said. I did like the peppermint syrup and heavy cream. Now I drink my coffee black, but it was a process for me to get there. But you you drank a nitro coffee out of a can. Yes. So this, you can just get cans of cold brew at, I mean, I get them at Whole Foods, but you can, there are lots of places. Is it carbonated? It's infused with nitrogen. So there'll be a head on it, like a beer. Oh, so like it's getting a, like a can of Guinness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where you pop it open, there's like a like a foamy process. The whole experience. No shit. Yeah. I may have to jump on that nitro bandwagon. My coffee journey is fascinating, actually. I'd love to hear it. So before I became a therapist, I was a photographer. And early in my career as a photographer, I was a photojournalist for the newspaper, several newspapers in Utah. Okay. And I was photographing the World Cup ski races at Park City one winter. That's awesome. It was really cool. And, and you know, the, the press can hike up and down the mountain and kind of be in a couple, two or three or four different photo spots. And I'd hiked, you know, halfway up the course. And um, Park City uh, Hospitality had somebody that came down the slopes wearing a five-gallon igloo jug on their back. <laughs> and they had a little hose. <laughs> and they had coffee cups. And they had cream and sugar. They had full coffee service. They're everybody's favorite person. Yeah. And, well, especially if when you're the press and you're standing in the middle of fucking nowhere, freezing your ass off. Right. I was so cold. And, and at that point... I probably had photographed general conference within the previous six months. (laughs) I've never thought about that, that there would be photographers there. Oh, that's so trippy to think about that. Oh, yeah. I photographed general conference every six months for probably three years. Oh, my God. That's 
It's so weird. Every six months, we would get transcripts of the speeches prior to conference. Oh, yeah. I didn't know that. I did know that. So this is back in the 80s and 90s. Well, because they had to put them on the teleprompter. Teleprompter, translator. Oh, translators, right. But I didn't know this back in the day. The information to know that bit of information wasn't available. So even though I was on the inside track of knowing what was going on, I had no idea that they provided transcripts. And I'm like, wait a minute. I thought these guys were speaking off the cuff. I thought they were speaking off the cuff my entire life. Hmm. It was proof that they were inspired, that they could speak about such grandiose topics and such spiritual things off the cuff. That information about the talks, what did that do to any belief that you had? My belief was tenuous already. It was literally, it was really tenuous already. It, it, it certainly eroded it. Right. I think I remember you mentioning that you had not believed for a long time. And so I wondered, like, was that just yet another like, oh, of course, fuck these dudes. <laughs> That's exactly right. So I would give that stack of talks to my dad, and he would read through them while they were presenting them at conference. And he's kind of a writer and a poet, and he would annotate on this talk where they would deviate from their speech. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I imagine somewhere in the bowels of his uh, archive, those are still part of his collection. He collected it. He saved everything. Oh, yeah. It's a generational and also just like, I feel like a deeply Mormon thing to do to keep all that stuff. The transcripts from General Conference. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Oh, my goodness. Okay, so you hiked up the mountain. There was somebody with a five-gallon igloo of coffee. So, and I'm staring, I'm going, word of wisdom moment, word of wisdom moment, word of wisdom Um. moment. And then I'm thinking, save your ass moment, save your ass. And so I took a cup of coffee. And he asked me if I wanted cream and sugar. And, of course, I had no idea what that meant. (gasps) And so I said, no. And he just handed me a cup of black coffee. You're like baptism by fire. (laughs) So this is my surprise when Ben just dives into the cold nitro. Oh, yeah. So I'm holding it and I'm holding it and it's doing its job. It's getting my hands warm. And I start thinking, well, if it's making my hands warm, what would it do to the inside of my body? Logic stands to reason that it would also make the inside of my body warm. I wonder how I would get some of that coffee into my body. I might find that if I drink this coffee, hot drink, if you will. I wonder what it would be like to drink this coffee. Oh, it was so awful. Yeah. I'm sipping it going, oh, how does anybody drink sipping it? Oh, but then it was so warm Mm -hmm. and inviting, but awfully just bitter. I don't know what it was. Oh, I'm sure it was super shitty coffee. It was bad coffee. (laughs) Fast forward from ski racing to my mission. And in South Korea, you get invited into people's houses and they offer you kopi. Okay. They say, would you like to drink some coffee? We usually say, no, no, it's okay. And then they'll say, tea, you want some tea? And we say, no, it's it's okay. I'm dropping some Korean today. Yeah. Look at me with the Korean street cred. There's one LDL listener that knows what I'm talking about. <laughs> and she it. also served her mission in Korea. Oh, I love it. I'll give a shout out to South Korean missionaries and any North Korean missionaries, if there happen to be any. I'm not sure that there are. Maybe. Anyway, so we go into this one house and my companion was a complete jackass. Uh, so we sit down. We're offered coffee. They don't even ask. Just bring it to you. They just retreat to the kitchen and they come in. They come in and sit down and we're sitting on the floor in the, you know, kind of the way that you do in a Korean home, old Korean home. We're sitting on the floor and she serves us his coffee. And my companion, he's like looking at me and I'm looking at him. And uh, he's like, I don't know about you, but I'm drinking it. And I'm like, what the fuck? Uh, Except for you definitely didn't say that. (laughs) I certainly was thinking it. 
<laughs> no, I definitely was thinking it. I almost <laughs> said it. So then we finished that, and he drank his coffee, and I drank my tea. We went door knocking, and then to the next uh, house, we didn't get in. And then the next house, we got in, and they offered us coffee again. And he drank it again. And I'm like, ah, fuck this. If he's drinking the coffee, I'm drinking the coffee. And I made it sweet, and it was yummy. So I was drinking coffee on my mission, and among other things, you know, photographing riots, smuggling tear gas grenades home, et cetera, et cetera. Oh, Kimberly. Such a rebel. As one does on a mission in South Korea. As one does. I have a friend who got his nipples pierced on his mission in Australia. So, you know, it takes all kinds. Fad dinkum. Fad dinkum, mate. <laughs> Fast forward to coffee in Kimberly's later life now. And I didn't drink, we we didn't drink coffee the entire time I was married. Um, but then, you know, that ended and then I changed my gender presentation and then everything is on the table. And I'm like, well, coffee's back on the table, Kimberly. And so I snuck into the coffee genre via Starbucks mocha latte. As one does. And so I kind of slid around in the Starbucks sweet drink pool for a while and got sick of that. And then I was in an area with the Dutch bros and I messed around in the Dutch bros super sweet drinks pool. And I'm like, whoa, this is nuts. And then I heard about an Americano. Mm-hmm. That's my jam. Uh-huh. By now I'm in Sacramento and I have access to lots of good coffee. Oh, yeah. And I do like an Americano. I do like a little with, with some extra cream in it. It's all right. I'll love you through it. I love Shelly through her shit that she puts in her coffee, so I can love you through it, too. I love anybody that's a bit of a snob in a very specific <laughs> way, and that is you with your coffee. It is me with a lot of things, Kimberly. For the sake of you go, I go, I don't know what kind of intro anyone would need to have about me because there's not really any important facts or credentials that bring me to this place other than I've just known Shelly a really long time. <laughs> <laughs> That's all it takes, I think. That's why I'm here. Fun fact, I had a podcast before she did. Then when they started their podcast, that's why I went on, I guess. I don't know. I mean, Shelly and I's leaving the church stories were very intertwined, so that kind of made sense. But I'm just here for the good times. And isn't it fun that we are entrusted with a full episode of the Latter-day Lesbian podcast together? Well, we know that when people are hearing this, it means that Mary already edited it. And she probably rolled her eyes a lot and was like, really, you two? Could you just keep it together? But that's what happens when she's not involved. We just do whatever we want. I gave her a three-hour recording with me and Bryce. I can't decide if that's the most fun thing that's ever happened or the meanest. Both, maybe. I did promise her that it wouldn't be three hours. Okay, so we're going to do two things hopefully today. Okay, let's do it. We're going to talk about personal inventory and we're going to talk about hair. Where do you want to start? I wonder what it would be like if Mary put a commercial break in right here. I wonder what that would be like. Let's find out. And we're back. It's like magic. Magic. Every time. You shared a really beautiful story the other day about personal inventory that I don't want to out anybody about that particular thing, but it was just a lovely experience that someone that's very close to you does personal inventory with someone that's close to them. And then you related a story how you like it when that happens with you. This was over Marco Polo. Yeah. And then you and I were talking about this idea of a personal inventory. And then I shared with you that I do that in my therapy sessions, but I call it motivational interviewing. Mm-hmm. And I do it all the time. I love it. And one of the things that's really lovely is most of the people that will come and see me for therapy, I know that they're lacking self-esteem usually, uh, self-confidence. They've never been told that they're lovable. They've very rarely been told anything that they do is worthy of praise or compliments. Many people that come and see me have a hard time taking a compliment. Yep. 
And that can speak to attachment styles and trauma and, you know, all kinds of things, safety. And I know this about these people. And so not every session, but often, you know, enough, every maybe third or fourth session, or as, you know, the spirit moves me, shall we say, I'll just do a quick review of what they've done in treatment. Right. Where were you a week ago? Where were you a month ago? Where were you six months ago? And where are you now? I'll go down the litany of even small things. Well, that's the thing is it ties together the conversation that Mary and I had had the time when I was on most recently, and then the continuation of the conversation that you had with her. Because when she came back to me after she had had recorded with you, she said, I think you're really going to like this. And I also am wondering if you have made any progress answering that question of decisions you've made or changes that you've made that you do feel like were your own and that you do feel like you can take credit and are proud of. And I told her that this personal inventory was one of these things I was trying to do Mm -hmm. because that was really helpful. I think you're referring to what I told you about Ben, and he won't mind if I tell this story, but he and a friend of his, a friend of ours, every morning they meet at a park and they do breath work and some yoga. They meditate and then they take their shoes and socks off and they walk around the grass and when I brought this up to him, this personal inventory idea to him, which I actually had originally stolen from him anyway, so whatever. (laughs) He said that he had just been thinking how if two years ago he had told himself, in two years, this is going to be a thing that you do every day. He would have been so pumped because to him, it was like, oh, that would have been so encouraging to know that I'm still investing in myself, that I'm still making progress, that I'm still treating myself and living the values of the way that I feel like I should treat myself. And I think that we all have so many things that we've done and that we do habits and maybe not even habits, but just things that we've incorporated into our lives that our past selves would be so happy about. But because it comes with gradual change, you don't notice it. It's so easy to forget And so as like sort of a funny example of this, I recently during the pandemic have started drinking red wine and that's not something that I ever liked or drank before. And I said to Ben one day at dinner, the kids were around us and I said, I bet they won't even remember a time that I didn't drink red wine. And Sammy, of course, the contrarian of my family said, of course I will. I'll remember when you didn't drink red wine. Seriously, I put it as a reminder to go off on my phone in two years. And it's one of those things where like, I wrote a super long description on this reminder because in two years, of course, I'm not gonna have any idea what I was talking about. So I wrote this huge long reminder of like, ask Sammy if she remembers if there was a time you didn't drink red wine because you're sure that she will think you always did. (laughs) (laughs) So you're making a little time capsule. Yes. And I know I'm gonna ask her in two years and she's gonna say, you always drank red wine. No, I didn't. It was the pandemic that made me do it. So yeah, it's just these little gradual changes that then just become a part of your life and you don't notice. So in the two of us talking about it, and because you said you do this in in therapy, what I'm hoping for is basically like a, how can we all do this for ourselves? How can we do this motivational interviewing or this Mm. personal inventory for ourselves? Because it is so easy to forget How can we do that introspection for ourselves? We ask clients often to journal. Mm -hmm. Journaling can be an important way. I know, I hate that. It's so fucking Mormon (laughs) to journal. 
Keep a journal every day. <laughs> I know, but it's no, true. No, I'm not going to journal. No, fuck that. I don't want to journal. So I never did keep a journal. I know that I ask my clients to do journaling about specific things, if they're doing a dream journal or if they're doing like a something, something, something journal. And then we can look back. One of the reasons that I take notes during session is so that I can go back and I can remind myself of where my clients were and where they are in that moment. Yeah. I know that when I first meet a client, like in those first sessions... I'll really emphasize internally for me, I'll, I'll, I'll be like, remember this moment about this challenge or remember this moment about this person's hesitation or inability to do this. Remember this moment of them sharing with you things that they want to change or grow or things they can't do. And so I'll really try and internalize that in kind of a physical way in my body. And I'll, I'll type a little note in. And I always share to my, with my clients, if you ever want to see the notes that I write in our sessions, I would love to share them with you and process them in session. I want to demystify. Wow. Okay. But most therapists would never do that, but I will. Yeah. Uh, in fact, there will be times where I'll say, let's pause and I want to quote this. And then I'll read it back and they'll be like, yeah, that sounds like what I said. And I said, it better be because I quoted you verbatim when I was talking, <laughs> when you were talking. <laughs> so for me, going back with them is easy because I'm keeping track. Right. For the individual, I think it's more difficult if you're not keeping track in some sort of a way. Uh, either a visual way and uh, maybe your art, you know, over the years can keep track of that. I know there are many artists that you can kind of see progression or regression of uh, mental health in their work. Sure. Van Gogh's work changed tremendously over the years as his schizophrenia came and went and came and went and got worse at the end of his life uh, until he finally uh, ended his life and died, died by suicide. So the journaling can be really important. I think having a friend that you can be transparent with is great. Because like with your husband, he has someone that's going to be able to do that with him in kind of an informal slash formal way. Sure. They've kind of ritualized this, it seems, at this point. Right. So I, I really like that idea. Bullet journaling can be a, a good thing if you don't like the extensive, like, mm -hmm. today I went to the thing and my heart <laughs> told me this. And the clouds parted and three doves flew by and it reminded <laughs> me of this. I want the clouds to part and three doves to fly by. Me too. Now I want to sing some prints. Do, 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 do. We always need prints. Do we ever? Mary, drop some prints in right here, would you please? <laughs> when I do my own personal inventory, it usually comes when I decide to update my Vitae or my resume or my bio. Interesting. Uh-huh. And so, like, I date my bios, like, it'll say K. Anderson Bio 2020, K. Anderson Bio 2019, or or even now, things have shifted for me quite a bit from moving from California with new positions. and Sure. But updating your resume is a good one to do a personal inventory. What is it that I've done? Yeah, I've never thought about that, but that's a really good one. And those are kind of milestone-y things, you know, implanted things, skills things. But I think what we're talking about is like an interpersonal or an intrapersonal inventory. Sure. But it still gives you, even if it's just reminders of where you were or what you were doing, even something as little as I was trying to find an old post of mine on Instagram, mm. I was reposting a quote and I couldn't remember who said it. And I knew that I had posted it before and that I had given the attribution there. And so I was scrolling through and <laughs> we don't need to segue to hair yet. But that is very interesting for me to try to scroll through these old posts because my hair changes so often. Mm -hmm. So it's just these little things of even just scrolling back through pictures to try to find something. It's just these reminders of where you are and what you were doing. And I know that there are people that struggle with memories for myriad reasons, but being able to see a picture and have it trigger something or 
a song. Mm -hmm. So I'm the kind of person that if I hear a song, I can remember a distinct time that I heard it and I know exactly where I was and I know exactly what was happening. And I can't predict when this is going to happen. And it doesn't even seem to be tied to songs that have particular meaning to me. I'll just be driving and a song will come on the radio or on Spotify and I'll remember exactly where I was a particular time that I heard that song and what was happening. And sort of just making note of those kinds of things help you get enough snapshots of your life. Anybody can do this any way that they want. Yeah. So last night I'm laying in bed and I spent kind of most of the morning putzing around. It was my day off. I didn't, I don't do anything on Saturdays or on Mondays. And so I thought, oh, great, I'll get a chance to knuckle down and take care of some paperwork and get some things in, in order. And I spent the morning doing dishes, cleaning, sitting, yeah, cleaning, cooking, <laughs> doing nothing, sitting. And oh, I had to re-upload the Bose driver for my wireless Bluetooth speaker. That took me an hour to make Naturally. sure. Naturally. Uh-huh. Of course it did. And then about eight o'clock, I was like, I've run out of stuff to do for the sake of doing it. So then I got into the paperwork and I worked until midnight, almost 1230 last night. And I got a lot done in those, you know, three or four and a half hours or so. And I was really surprised. And as I was kind of falling asleep, I put on some music and I was just playing in my head, what did I do yesterday? And I actually got a lot done in a lot of different ways. Yeah. And I drank water. I love it. I ate food and I took care of myself and I breathed fresh air. You know, if that's the personal inventory that you're taking for that day, hey, you did great stuff. And let's not forget, we're still, by the way, record cases of COVID still in a global pandemic. Right. Well, that's one of the things I loved about the conversation that you had with Mary also is that if you're not reaching your goals, quote unquote, then you need to lower the bar. You might find that you will feel more accomplished and that you will feel more confidence if you lower the bar on what's required of you. Or what you're requiring of yourself. Yes, yes, what you're requiring of yourself. And that was a big shift too, because we know the kind of society and culture that we live in of productivity at all times, no matter the cost. And we see more and more, and it's unfortunate but very necessary consequence that we are seeing all of the different ways that that is harming all of us and coming back to a place of what's the bare minimum? Can we go back to the bare minimum? Because that's not a bad thing. <laughs> that's not a th that's not a thing to feel shame about. Do you know about Maslow's hierarchy of needs? Yes. So going back to the basics, we're talking about that pyramid. Mm -hmm. If you're able to, in any given day, take care of that bottom level of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you've had a successful day. Yeah, yeah. Congratulations. Yeah, I really liked that. And I, I, like the, I like the integration of the lowering the bar and the personal inventory. They're kind of hand in hand. Yeah, they are. I think we all in our own ways struggle with just beating ourselves up so much that finding any way to step back and say, hey, I did this. Good job, me. <laughs> I washed my face. I washed my face. <laughs> hey, at this point, I will take a washed face. I have clean underwear on. Yes. Yeah. I remember <laughs> having a conversation with Shelly 
a few times ago about the one small, the daily promise, the one Mm. small daily promise. So we'll just tie it all back in together. It's the same thing. Please. Whether it's I'm going to go to the bathroom or Mm -hmm. I'm going to drink a cup of water. I don't want people to be asking more of themselves or of each other. Instead of directing that statement outward, I want you to direct that statement inward. Ah, but that's hard. Why is it hard? Because I do want more for myself, but I have to interrogate why that is. And it isn't me. It isn't me. It's the outward. I can just sit in this closet all day long and be perfectly fine. My phone is like in the corner. I got Candy Crush on that bad boy. I am good (laughs) to go. I have not left the Airstream since last Sunday night. It's been like a seven-day quarantine for me. Well, good for you. The quote I have on my door right now that I was reposting is the most radical thing you can do is stay home. And it's by a man named Gary Snyder. Mm. So that's back on the door. Do you remember at the first earliest months of the pandemic where there was this productivity culture of, I'm going to learn French. I'm going to download Duolingo. I'm going to learn how to crochet. I'm going to learn how to plant an herb garden. Oh, we're in a pandemic. So let's just do all of the things. Let's make sure we don't feel like our lives are wasting away. It's such a perfect example of the shit show that is everything. (laughs) I can't sit still and be calm. I mean, to be fair, we're going on day 280 of this in the U.S. Oh, I know. And I feel a little bit spoiled because I have been able to work and I have been able to see clients. And I found myself at times wishing I could do more. So I kind of tried to do more. Took a trauma class, took a this class, took a that class, learned about polyvagal theory, learned about this and that. And it's like all these things that aren't going to help me be a better therapist. But making myself slow down and just sit and be still, its it was really hard for me to do that. It's really, really hard. Especially if you have personality leanings that keep you busy that make it hard to sit still. Yeah. And so if you're able to sit still, bravo. Yeah. I actually had one of my friends who's a county supervisor for Yolo County in California. In the earliest days of the, of the pandemic, when I was feeling like I was being underutilized, he said, you don't know this, but the most important thing you can be doing is staying home. The most radical thing you can do is stay home. Yeah. And, and so there were days when I was staying home and I'm like, oh, this guy that I really respect and love and admire, who's in charge of a lot of things and who is very, very smart. He's endorsing staying home. Yeah. The giant umbrella that is over all of this is that you have the ability to stay home. Incredible privilege. It's incredible privilege. And I I have a job that is technically an essential worker. And for me, it does feel essential because I've been a stay-at-home mom for 12 years. And I have been no stranger to talking about how difficult that has been for me. So having a job that has continued through this pandemic has been really, really good for me. But the flip side of that coin is that I don't actually have to have this job. I don't need this job to pay my rent or to buy my food. And there are millions of people throughout the world that are in positions where they don't have a choice. So know that we are aware of the privilege. For every person that's willingly going to a bar, there's 10 people that wish that they could fucking stay home. So if you have the ability to do so, do. (laughs) I agree completely. And that's what I meant about my experience in the pandemic being kind of insular. Yeah, no, totally. I get it. Hey, Mary, uh, Kimberly here. This might be a good time for you to slide into the commercials here and make some money. All right, go for it. And we're back. Thanks, Mary. That was well done. Strong editing. Well done. Um, hair. Hair. Listeners may want to know that we were planning on this podcast 
and I suggested that maybe we should get all the chit-chat, get to know each other stuff out of the way before we do the podcast. Yeah, that was an excellent suggestion. And so we started just talking, doing deep dives on who we are and understanding life and philosophy and... I mean, we figured out all of the mysteries of the universe. Which we can't share at this time. No. For we have not yet received it. (laughs) I can give it to you through the veil, though. Oh, I just threw up. (laughs) So awful. Somehow we started talking about hair in this conversation. Oh, yeah. Was it the day that you went to get your hair cut? I don't know. But I had mentioned that a lot of my identity is wrapped up in my hair. That's what it was. And then you talked about your hair journey. Yes, my hair journey, which I feel like I might have shared on the podcast before. I'll give a very brief version for the listeners. Let's paint a picture. The hair that naturally grows out of my head is dark brown. And for the first 30 years of my life, it was just long and brown. You know, every once in a while, I'd cut it short. How long, if we're painting a picture? A little bit longer than my shoulders. Okay. Straight, curly? My hair is naturally straight as a board, so always able to put up in a ponytail or a braid. I dyed it frequently throughout my teenage years and early 20s. You know, your classic chunky highlight. When I was a senior in high school, I did actually dye my hair black. Um, That was fun. And then I have always wanted to shave my head. And as I was journeying out of the church, at some point I had dyed my hair red. So it was still long, but it was red. Like flaming red or just like redhead red? No, it was like very red. And then I got it cut like short. It was like my chin. And then I got it cut like a little bit shorter. It was like a, not quite a pixie cut. It was a little bit longer than that. And then I just said to Shelly, naturally, because Shelly's the friend that you go to for this kind of thing. I've always wanted to shave my head. Now's the time. I just got to do it. (laughs) Looking back on it, I find it even more humorous. This was literally a month after we stopped going to church for good and never went again. Isn't there a stereotype for cisgender women that at any major shift in their life, they do something radical with their hair? Oh, totally a stereotype. And it proved to be true in this instance. So I went to Shelly's house and she shaved my head in her kitchen. Was that scary? No, I was ready for it. It was time to do it. It's very punk rock. I pretend really well. It's true. (laughs) You do have tats and ink. I do have a lot of tattoos, but I didn't at the time. (laughs) Just a shaved head, no tattoos. So I shaved my head and that was five years ago. And I have had it very, very short. And parts of my head have remained shaved ever since. And I've done lots of different fun colors. One of my best friends is my hairstylist, and he has used me as a model for uh, contests and things. And so he'll shave designs and do different colors. I had a rainbow peacock on the side of my head at one point. I've had geometric shapes and feathers shaved into the back of my head, all kinds of things. And it's made me very memorable, as you might imagine it would. This is why I may have thought that you were queer somehow. Yes, that is a not uncommon question that I'm asked. Mm -hmm. And I I really like to be memorable. I don't think I realized how much I liked being memorable (laughs) until I had this thing that made me very, very memorable. So now I have this thing where I'm kind of at the point where I would like to grow my hair out, but I legitimately am struggling with, but then I'm losing my thing. Like, this has been this fun thing 
that has made me stand out. And now it's very Samson. Yeah, I guess. I don't know. I can't step back from it enough to see, like, why do I feel like I need this thing? Yeah, I don't know. It's my hair. I'm way too attached. (laughs) Let's talk about that. I just did. (laughs) (laughs) Let's talk about it some more. Okay. And I'm not sure how much you want to share. You've shared a lot with me on Polo. Sure. There's a phrase called or a term called virtue signaling. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We did have this conversation, right? Virtue signaling is often looked at as a very negative type of a phrase. There's a form of virtue signaling that can be used positively. Yeah. To convey um, certain things that you want the world to know about you. Since we're on a queer podcast, a classic one would be having rainbow stuff. Yeah. I have a rainbow on my Yeti mug. And I know when I walk into a room, people see that on my mug and they instantly know exactly who they can be in relation to me. Right. I have literally seen clients who I knew were queer or they were trans before meeting them. And I knew I was going to be going into that room, meeting them cold. And I would specifically grab my mug, my Yeti, with the rainbow sticker on it, knowing that if I walked in the room and they could see that on my mug, they would know exactly who I was and what I stood for. And it would put them at ease. Right. For me, that's a way that I've virtue signaled in the past and to tremendous benefit. Yeah. I see them just go, oh, okay. For sure. Yeah. I don't know if I feel like my hair is like that or not. It really is like the memorable thing. This is actually a pattern of mine to not realize how obvious things are to other people, if that makes sense. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It would not be uncommon for someone to assume that because I have hair like this, I am queer in some way. Shade, right. That's something that would go right over my head, if that makes sense, which well, maybe it wouldn't. I don't know. For instance, we have a big giant pride flag in our front window and I have a child who identifies as queer. It is a virtual signaling thing. It is a thing that like when their friends come over, they know that they're safe. We've done this on purpose. We are doing that same sort of virtue signaling thing in our community that way. But I've never looked at my hair as being that thing. I think for me, it's just, <laughs> honestly, it's just attention. I am not shy about talking about how much I love it. <laughs> love attention. I think that that's just what it is. And I just fear that I'll lose this unique thing. It's really nice, especially when you've just been cis, het, long, brown, hair, suburban mom of three, Mormon. And that's actually another thing is occasionally my hair is getting long enough now that I'll part it down the middle and just like see. And it's not cut that way, so it doesn't really look right. But even having that natural part down the middle the way that I had for 30 years just makes me feel like, oh my God, where's the long jean skirt and like the undershirt? And that's where I feel like it's relatable for other ex-Mormons is we all have these things that for us signify this other person. And when you make this huge, massive shift to who you are, and I have to just remind myself constantly that I'm not going to go back to that. Even if I stopped dyeing my hair and it was brown and I grew it, it still wouldn't be the same. Like I still wouldn't be that person, but I'm worried to look in the mirror as that person and be like, oh shit, what just happened? So emotionally, you don't even want a connection inside your own head. Yeah. As you leave the church or as you make any large life change, it's like the onion and you just don't 
know what is going to be the next layer. That's why there's no end. There's no completion. There is no end to <laughs> Oh, if we start singing, if you get high to collab, there'll be uh, Mary's three hour podcast she didn't want because that song is fucking long. <laughs> is that six verses? Yeah, something like that. And I hate winter because all my tattoos are covered up. Hmm. And when it starts to get warm and I can see my tattoos again, it starts to make me feel more comfortable. I'm more comfortable when I can see my tattoos. I love the signifiers. Um, can I share a little bit of my hair journey? Please do. As a trans person, hair is like critical or can be critical. For me, it was. I can imagine. Sure. And for being raised as a Mormon boy, it's very binary, short, you know, missionary haircut. Yeah. Versus the long pioneer braid down the back. Stereotypical. One of my mission to South Korea and it has a heavy U.S. military presence there. And we were encouraged not to get haircuts that were military short because they did not want us to be mistaken for military personnel. Okay, interesting. And so I interpreted that as we could have longer hair. So when I was on my mission, I had it a little bit longer. And then when I came home, I immediately started growing it out and quickly had a Prince Valiant bob which you can barely tuck behind your ear, but you can't pull it back into mm -hmm. a ponytail and it looks really goofy. So I wore a baseball cap for a long, long, long time until I could pull my hair back into a ponytail. And then once I could pull it back into a ponytail, the horse was out of the barn. Yeah. And I just grew my hair long and it was past my shoulders all the time that I was dating. I actually got married and had long hair and had long hair all the way up till 2008. Long hair and I liked it because it signaled to Mormon members that we were living with, you know, in the areas that I was not the conventional Mormon. Yeah. Everybody knew I was a photographer. Everybody knew I was an artiste. And it was okay for me to have longer hair because I was the quirky artist Mormon. So I got away with it. And it made me memorable. It made me stand out. Yeah. So I totally get all the things that you're talking about. I wanted that slice of my identity to be projected outward that people knew this thing about me. At the time, I knew I was trans, and I knew I was growing my hair out as a way to explore my female identity and express that externally. And that was really, really important to me. And I took really good care of my hair. And my hair has thinned out quite a bit in the past 15, 18 years. And as it started to fall out, I really wondered if I was going to be able to transition because I did not want to wear a wig. I thought for a long time that if my hair fell out, I wouldn't transition. That tied to it, yeah. Uh, it was that significant. Right. And if I wouldn't be able to transition, I, uh, my life would be a lot different. And I remember one time at UVU, I was talking to one of the students um, kind of in the after I transitioned teaching at UVU. And she said, and everyone there was lovely. Staff, faculty, students, everyone was just so beautifully caring and loving to me. And one of the lab techs was we were talking about my transition, which is a conversation you can have in a college. Right. You can have personal conversations with your students. And she said, one of the reasons that the students have been as receptive to me transitioning is that I'm using my own hair and I'm not wearing a wig. Interesting. I found that very fascinating. And I've often kind of wondered about that. Yeah. There must be some sort of stigma about wearing a wig. Right. So I was fortunate in that way that I had hair that I could use in my transition that was my natural hair. My first teaching position was at BYU-Idaho in 2008. Everybody's favorite. I actually had a lovely semester there and I met some students that are still friends. But that's the place that made you cut your hair, right? I could not teach at BYU-Idaho if I had a ponytail. Because of course, they are the most strict of all. It's so ridiculous. 
I remember after the semester ended, and I was teaching summer semester. I remember after the semester ended, I was in the dark room cleaning up, prepping for the next semester's worth of work, you know, working on my own personal stuff, um, just taking care of the studio and the dark room. I was wearing shorts. <gasps> How dare you? And a facilities person, I believe they were working, they were maybe electrical or something. It wasn't a custodian, it was somebody working on systems. They were in the studio working on some electrical things, and I went in to just say hi, and they saw me wearing my shorts. And they had to comment. Nuh-uh. Uh-huh. They had to comment on me wearing shorts. And I said, um, the semester's over, and there are no students in the building, and I think it's okay for me to wear shorts. And also, I'm a grown-ass adult, so how about you mind your own business? You mind your own fucking business. You mind your own fucking business. Oh, did I just say the F word? <gasps> did I just say the F word out loud? Oh, no. Yikes. <laughs> Could never have said that at BYU-Idaho, although I did swear on occasion in my classroom. <gasps> Students loved it. Oh, I bet they did. It's almost like people like it or something when you're a real person instead of a fucking robot. Right. Oh, one of the things I'm the most proud of teaching at BYU-Idaho and teaching at BYU is I never once ever, not ever did I ever. Never have I ever. <laughs> never have I ever started class with an opening prayer. Oh, God bless you. And I never wore a tie. Love that. That's interesting. I imagine, because I can relate to this, there's always the brother in the ward that doesn't wear the tie or that has the long hair. The black shirts. Yeah. You know, I don't think it's as common now, but when I was a kid, it for sure was. It was the same as like, there's always one Democrat family in the ward and <laughs> the everybody ward. knows who the Democrats are. Like, and they're the ones <gasps> that wear like the pinstripe shirts. Yes. Like, how can they even be Mormon if they're Democrats? <laughs> let's let's talk about socialism in the Mormon church, shall we? Oh my God. No, I can't. I'm I will not allow myself to do that <laughs> to myself. The Socialist Mormon Podcast. Oh, now I want to start the Socialist Mormon Podcast. Oh my God. You know I would have a field day with that. <laughs> yes, you would. The hair thing is interesting because I'm also such a huge fan of the moments when you were not you, the collective you were not living the way that you wanted to. Right. Perhaps one didn't even know what that meant. But then when you are, I've shared the example many times of my tattoos that I have one sister who, you know, I think I shared this just last time, actually, that she knew that I wanted tattoos and she knew I would get them. And it's those moments that are confirming to who you were. So that's how you were with your hair. Yeah. You always had your hair long. You knew that that was part of who you were. Integral to my sense of self. Sure. It kind of almost honestly ties into the personal inventory of the things that feel like your truest, truest to who you are. Like you don't necessarily control them. It's just how it is. <laughs> and I've, I've spoken to this. I think I spoke to this in the last podcast of The Guilt and Shame. We create a false self to fit in and stay safe. Yeah. And once we have the skills and the um, resiliency and the fortitude and the self-confidence and the understanding of who we are, we can shed our false self and we can start to develop and discover who our true self is. Yeah. And that often is the work that I do with my clients as their therapist. Yeah. So, yeah, growing my hair out was me reclaiming my identity. Mm -hmm. It was me rejecting everyone saying, oh, you got your hair cut. Oh, you're teaching at BYU. Oh, the church is true. 
Watch me grow it out immediately. Right. Oh, I can guarantee you somebody will say something about how my hair is so nice and normal now and I will fucking shave my head again. (laughs) Normal. Oh, God. And that's the thing. I rage about living in suburbia. I don't think it's virtue signaling, but it is just signaling of, yeah, the tattoos and the hair. Like, I may live in a single family home with three kids and drive a fucking minivan. My favorite quote from Mean Girls, I'm not a regular mom. I'm a cool mom. (laughs) (laughs) I got to have something. And I think I struggle against it needlessly, to be honest. Like, okay, fine. So you need that. Who cares? Why am I interrogating it as though it's bad? Why are you interrogating like it's bad? I don't know. I do need my notebook next to me because there's all these questions that I can't answer today, Kimberly. <laughs> That's why we go to therapy. I and, is, know. and isn't that how you ended the last episode with Marion Shelley? Yes, yes. And I have to thank you because I try to be really good about this and no one is perfect and I certainly am not. And when you started the next episode, you said you wanted to be inclusive of not everyone has access to therapy. And I was so appreciative of that reminder And I was like, why did I phrase it the way that I did? And then I remembered, oh, because when I record, I just assume it's just me and Mary. I forget there are other people that are listening. Other people in the room, yeah. So not everyone has access to it. That is for sure. Yet another thing that I wish I would wave my my Mary, my Mary, my fairy magic wand. My Mary magic wand. My Mary wand. Mary magic wand trademark. And everyone could have access to therapy. And maybe if they don't want therapy, maybe they have access to the outdoors. Absolutely. Maybe they can have enough disposable income to buy shoes and be able to go for a walk or enough energy to just get out of bed and drink some water. That's right. Because we are doing the bare minimum and we're going to be happy about it, damn it. Or grateful for it. Grateful for it. We will be the champions of the bare minimum, Kimberly. That's you and me. Lowering the bar since 1968. (laughs) I've only been lowering the bar since like 2015. Was that the same day that you axed off all your hair? Might have been. No, that took some time. It takes every day. Every day I got to lower the bar. So, all right. How wonderful. I would do more podcasts with you, BTW. Absolutely do more podcasts with you, Kimberly. Well, Shelly, maybe we can make that happen. I'd do it. You'd have them record more podcasts? Sure. More (laughs) breaks for us. Oh, for sure. Can you tell the 2020 (laughs) exhausted me? Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. Well, I'd still edit their podcast. So That's true. at least you'd get a break. Really? <laughs> Half of our team would get a break from the podcast. <laughs> yeah, I do get a break from the podcast portion of life. Unfortunately, the rest of life, damn it, is still there. Still taking its toll. Mm-hmm. Uh, once again, we are going to save patron name announcements and channels announcements till next week when we're back full time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I guess that's going to wrap it up. I guess we're done. Thank you, Kimberly and Diana, and thank you all guest hosts for helping us out this past holiday season. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. Okay, and also I want to thank Dan from Extension Audio. Thanks for leaving it in, Dan. (laughs) Thank you. Meantime, steer clear of cults because they are no joke. No joke at all, even in 2021. Still not joking around. Mm -mm. Okay, talk to you later. Bye-bye. 